0: We're talking about that both through email and personally that, uh, we've walked lots of similar roads together as mm-hmm. we both, well they've, can I say it, much longer than I did. <laughs> but, uh, we both worked on university campuses with students and we know how significant it is to work alongside, uh, students as they're, uh, really coming into their own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they've both, uh, we've both done cross-cultural mission stuff with students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just the opportunity to walk alongside and, and now to partner together on this weekend and, and it's just, just a joy. So we're, we're very thankful for, for both of you and for the, the gift that you've been to us and the gift you continue to be uh, to Canada and to, to marriages and to families and to the church. We're very, very thankful for you. So let me just pray for you, Mike, as, mm-hmm. as we start today. Jesus, I am so thankful for your gift of life to us and the, and the gifts you've given the body of Christ. I am thankful uh, this weekend in particular for the gift of, of Mike and Karen and and the gift they are to your body, the gift they are to us, and the way they have just blessed marriages this weekend. And and now this morning, as Mike shares, uh, the gift uh, that he's able to offer us as a community. So I just ask that you bless him, fill him with your Holy Spirit, and anoint him as he shares and teaches today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom.
1: All right. Well, it's great to be with you this morning, and um, I'm excited to be able to be in a community like this. Oh, thanks. because I grew up in a small farming community in the central part of Michigan, and the old expression, "You can take the country—I mean, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy." So it's just like getting out here and just breathing. Oh, it's just so beautiful, and just have loved the time yesterday. The couples, raise your hand if you were there yesterday. If you still have the energy to be able to raise your, because we worked them hard. They were a great crew. And we do these, uh, a bit of speaking, and we give them assignments, and you always kind of get a feel for the crowd based on the the noise and the interaction, and it was just fun to watch, you know, the the exchange that went on during the day, and uh, it was a blessing to be here. I'll tell you a little bit about us. Karen and I have four children. We did the four kids in a five-year plan, so <laughs> they're close together. And so we have a son and three daughters, and we've adopted three three boys. We call them (laughs) son-in-laws. So we our three daughters have all married uh, three boys, and they all live close to us. Uh, Our one daughter married a guy from Halifax. Our other daughter married a guy from Australia, and our third daughter married a guy from Alberta. And they all live near
0: us, which is
1: really quite wonderful. And uh, we have two grandsons. That's the reward for not having killed our kids during their teenage years. They survived, and now we have two wonderful grandsons that uh, we really delight in. And uh, this morning, I'm not going to talk to you about family. We told you all we know about family, or marriage anyway, yesterday. I want to talk to you about uh, just trusting God. And uh, it's called You Just Never Know, is what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do that, I want you to do something You know, I'm convinced that God knows every one of your hearts. I don't. And if you ask God, he can tailor this to fit your heart. So the first thing I'd like you to do is, whether there's anything distracting you, just kind of lay that at the Lord's feet. And then secondly, just say to God, God, I want you to speak to me today. And God smiles. (laughs) because he wants to. He wants to speak to us. So that's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to bow your heads, lay anything that might be distracting you uh, at the Lord's feet, and just say, Lord, speak to my heart. Would you do that? Just bow your heads and do that, please. Father, it's a, it's a really wonderful thing to know that you, the God of the universe, knows every detail of our lives. You know where we need to be encouraged, and challenged, and directed. So this morning, we want to thank you in advance for the way you're going to encourage us, the way you're going to direct us, and the ways that you will challenge us. And uh, it's a, a wonderful thing to know that you know the future, you know the past, and you can direct our steps in a way that would be uh, in accordance with your desires for us, out of your love. We commit this morning to you in your name. Amen. Now, um, have you ever done something that's pretty simple and the results were far greater than you expected? Well, uh, Tom mentioned that I've worked on university campuses, but I started that journey as a university student. And I lived in the dorms and I had applied to be a resident assistant. It was a job that where you kind of supervise the floor, and you got paid, paid your, your um, room and board. So uh, 37 people applied, two positions, and I think quite miraculously, I got one of them. And I knew a couple of the women RAs, resident assistants, in the women's dorm that was our next door to us. So I went over there with my roommate, and we were celebrating that I got this position. And one thing led to another and there's a little bit of a water fight. In fact, my roommate and I took these two RAs, and we threw them in their showers, turned the showers on off, turned the showers on them, and then we took off. It was just one of those crazy things that university students do. Well, I got back to my dorm room and the head resident was there to just welcome me to the team. And so he's chatting with me in my room and I walk out to say goodbye and the girls are there with a bucket of water. And they doused me with a bucket of water. Fortunately, I was the first one out the door, not the head resident. But he was a pretty good guy, and he just kind of laughed. But the guys on my floor decided, they didn't know that I had started this, and so they thought, oh, we got to go get the girls. So they get their buckets, they go over the girls' dorm. And there was just... A water fight like you've never seen. In fact, the campus police were called. They <laughs> locked, they locked down the girl's dorm. And I started it <laughs> Well, that was my roommate and I never told anybody that we really were the, the culprits. And I didn't lose my job on the first day, but it was far more than I ever expected. Now, I think spiritually, Sometimes we can do little things that uh, we just will never may never know the ripple effect of them. And so this morning I want to talk about that. And um, I've developed this attitude uh, that keeps me optimistic and it keeps me forward looking, anticipating God's hand. And it's called. Y-J-N-K. It's kind of a rip-off from W-W-J-D. Does anyone know what that is? What would Jesus do? So this is similar. Y-J-N-K. It's not Y-Junk. It's you just never know how your small obedience fits into God's big plan. And uh, this morning we want to look at a couple passages and focus on one in particular. The first one is from the Old Testament. Jonathan, the son of Saul, was um, camped with the armies of Israel. And the Philistines were across the valley from them. And uh, the armies of Israel were afraid. But in this passage, in 1 Samuel 14, it's Jonathan. It says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Perhaps the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to say by many or by few. His army, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself and I have, and I hear I am with you according to your desires. And so Jonathan looks at the situation and says, okay, I've got to do something. We are here to fight the battle. And so I am going to take this small act of obedience. And uh, his little act, he and his armor bearer go over, and it launches the battle, and Israel wins the battle. And it all started with saying, okay, I'm going to trust God. Perhaps God will give us the victory. I'm going to do this. And um, another verse that has helped me, because there are circumstances in our lives that are just plain difficult. We do not like them. We have a choice. It's like a fork in the road. We can be discouraged and despair, or we can say, you know what? I don't like these circumstances, but I'm going to believe that God has a plan. And uh, in Psalm 27, 13 and 14, this is my go-to verse when I'm feeling like I'm going to despair. And it says, in, according to the New American Standard Version, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, as um, this attitude of anticipation that God will show up helps me. I mentioned we have four children. Our son is the oldest, and um, he has struggled with depression, very dramatic, disabilitating, depression. Twice he's had to be hospitalized. And, you know, that's a, that is something that I would have never chosen for my son. And we, we come alongside him and watch him. And I could despair. But what I've chosen to do is to say, God, I don't understand this. And to be really honest, God, I don't even like it. I would like him to be removed. But I'm going to trust that I will see your hand in the land of the living, your good hand working in this. And uh, another point in my life, I've I've always loved ministry. I've worked on the university campuses for years and years. And, and um, I was in a role that I really liked. And uh, my director came to me and basically fired me. It was one of those situations where he's talking to me, and all of a sudden, I'm a little slow, I said... Oh, wait a minute, I get it. You're firing me. And uh of course I didn't say it with quite that much enthusiasm. And uh I was shocked, I was disappointed. And I remember very distinctly, I know the very spot on the road where I was driving, because I was hurt and I was disappointed. And um I remember the spot. It's between Aldergrove and Abbotsford, for any of you who've driven on the freeway there where it was just like God said, you know, Mike, I have a plan. I have a plan in this. You just need to trust me. So I went from, I still was hurt, but I went from that to looking to, okay, God, I'm really looking forward to this plan, because it doesn't look good to me from this vantage point. And um, the plan was, you know, God needed to develop some things in my life, and uh I had been asked to step down from this role. And the same person who asked me to step down from the role, five years later, asked me to be the national director of that ministry. And so, you know, it was a five-year education process that God had planned for me. And I could have gotten mad and said, I'm out of here. But I didn't. I just said, God, I know you have a plan. I know you want me here. I'm just going to trust you. And God's good hand was seen in that. We're going to read a passage in Luke chapter 5. And then we're going to camp out on this passage a little bit. In Luke 5, uh, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people on the, the uh, shore of the lake. And the crowds are pressing in on him. And so he asks the fishermen if he can get in the boat with them. So we're going to look at this. And Verse 3 of Luke 5, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both their boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down into Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For the amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. We want to look at this passage. And um, I want to give you another glimpse of that passage in a, in a video clip. And this is from the Jesus film. And uh, it just kind of gives you another take on the story. Push the boat out further to the deep water. Then you and your partners let down your nets for a catch. Oh, master, we worked hard all night long and caught Nothing.
0: But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. James! John! Oh, this guy. Hey. <laughs> <That's> enough. <laughs>
1: Away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You know, I love the uh, the depiction of that passage because there is a simple request that Jesus made to Peter. He said, "Put out into the deep water." And let down the nets for a catch. Now, Peter's a fisherman. The boats, the nets, it's all there. But in the clip, it's this wonderful picture where Peter says, We fished all night and caught nothing. And there's this pause. And you kind of wonder, you know, you kind of use your imagination and you kind of think, what caused the pause? What was it? that made Peter pause at that moment. Because uh, the response has this "This um, master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. What was the reason for the pause? Well, it could be just discouragement. You know, they had fished all night and caught nothing. What's the use? It doesn't work. We're not going to catch any fish. Or it could be he's tired. He's been up all night fishing, and he's just tired. Now, I want you to think about that, not just from Peter's perspective, but about from your perspective. You know, I'm sure you all have either something really intentional that pops out from Scripture, that you think, you know, I need to do this. Or sometimes there's this little tap on the shoulder where you just know God's Spirit is saying, I want you to do this. And there's a pause because you're just thinking, wow, this is I'm discouraged. If I do this, we'll have the same results we've always had. I'm not going to do it. I'm tired. And it's, maybe it's not logical. Think about it for a minute. They fished all night. That was the time to fish. It wasn't in the morning. The morning is not a good time to fish. They were fishing at the best time. And Jesus says, wait a minute, Jesus, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You're telling me to go fish. Um, and possibly Peter had a schedule. You know, he had things to do. This would interrupt his schedule. If I do this, it'll be a problem. My wife has a plan for my life. And, uh, she's not gonna like this. And, uh, it might be a trust issue. Wait a minute, Jesus. Who are you anyway? You're telling me to do something here. Who are you? And, um, and then there was a crowd. You know, they're cleaning their nets. They know that, that that's not a good time to go fishing. Maybe we would be embarrassed. Wow, what will the crowd say? If we don't catch anything and we go do this, they will they'll, we'll be the laughingstock of the shoreline. Well, and as we know, whatever caused that pause for Peter, he finally said, but at your bidding, I will do this. And uh, I was struck by this, to be really honest. We were living in Ottawa, and, and we had been asked to move to Abbotsford. We loved Ottawa and enjoyed the ministry there. And we'd been asked to move to Abbotsford to take on a new role. And uh, I didn't want to go. And Karen was pretty convinced this was a good idea. People at our church in Ottawa said, yeah, BC, West Coast, go. And um, I wasn't convinced. And uh, God really used this passage, actually, to, for me to say, okay, God, you know, this is inconvenient. Our kids are these ages. This is going to be difficult. But it was as if he said to me, Mike, if I ask you, you know, he's His saying, if I ask you, would you just do it? And so I said yes. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say that everything just went smooth. Well, it didn't. There, you know, we, we often talk about the first seven years in BC were the seven years of tribulation. And, um, things did not go smoothly, but it was really important that I had gone to the Lord, and I knew that I was there simply because He said, I want you to do this. I was obedient. And, uh, the results, there's been results to it, but boy, there are moments when I could not see the results. So here's the first result of obedience from this passage. You will see the miraculous when you obey God. It may not be immediately. It might be in the future. Or you might even have to wait until you get to have it to see, okay, why did you ask me to do this, God? I'll give you a couple stories. As uh, I'm talking about the dorms. One of the, the steps of obedience I took when I was a student was I started to lead a Bible study in my dorm. And I had never done that. I was a little nervous about it, and I remember one of the guys on my floor, he was actually the, the president of our dorm, he's an education major, and we're good friends, so I said to him, hey, Ray, I'm leading this Bible study, and I've never done this before. I have these questions I'm going to use to introduce the topic. I want to see what you think of these questions. And as I asked him these questions, we got into this wonderful spiritual conversation, And um, I went through the gospel with him and gave him a copy of a little outline called The Four Spiritual Laws. He knocks on my door later that night. He's in his underwear. He's in the dorm, you know, and he says to me, Mike, I was just sitting on the toilet reading this Four Laws. And he said, okay, so if I die and I haven't invited Christ into my heart, Where will I go? And it was like 11.30 at night. I wasn't really into a long conversation. I said, Ray, without Christ forgiving your sins, you're going to go to hell. And I shut the door. (laughs) I'm really smooth there. Anyway, the next day he comes back and he says, "You know, Mike, I read that thing over again. And I just want to let you know that I invited Christ into my heart. And I think it all started from this little act of obedience that I was just willing to do something that I wasn't um, wasn't feeling like I had the ability to do. But God turned it into something that was really instant. Now, my roommate, I had a roommate named Ron. He was my roommate just for one semester, not a believer. And we talked many times about God. And, and um, 25 years later, I get this phone call uh, in our home in Abbotsford. And uh, the person sat on the line. He said, hey, I used to be one of your roommates at university. And I'm not going to tell you who this is, but here's my phone number. I would like to talk to you. I recognize his voice. And so I phoned him and I said, Ron, what are you doing calling me 25 years later? How did you ever find me, first of all? And he said, oh, I, I uh, tracked you down and I don't remember how. But he said, you know, for 14 years, I've wanted to tell you something. He said, you know, 14 years ago, I became a believer. And um, I just wanted to thank you. I'm married to a great Christian woman. we got two kids. And, it, you know, when you talked to me, I wasn't ready. But thank you for talking to me. Because God took that and some other things. And I, 14 years ago, Invited Christ in my life. And I said, wow, God is so good. And then, um, and so, there may be conversations you've had with people, and there's conversations I've had with people I've just thought, wow, where is that going to go? Well, you may have to wait till heaven to find out where it did go. But if we're obedient, God has a plan, and he weaves it all together. Now the second result of obedience is you will see yourself and God in new ways. And this is where Peter looks at Jesus and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, as we're willing to obey, we just understand God better. I had this funny thing happen. You know, as uh, Tom mentioned, I worked on the university campus and I was at the University of Alberta as as a chaplain for Campus Crusade for Christ. And there was a bus strike. And so, you know, when I would leave campus, I would pick up some students. And one day I picked up just this one student. And he was from Africa. And we chatted. And, and I felt like it was one of those moments that God said, okay, Mike, I want you to. He didn't have any gloves. And I had these leather gloves. And he says, Mike, I want you to give him your gloves. And I want you to tell him it's because I love him. And I'm thinking, I don't mind giving him my gloves, but you know, is this really you, God? And so I'm battling this thing in my heart. And so we stop. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I just gave him my gloves. I said, did you know? I see you don't have any gloves. Here's my gloves. And I want, I want to give them to you because God loves you. And He didn't say anything. He took the gloves, just thanked me, and uh, then I got home. And about 30 minutes after I got home, I got this phone call from a lady from our church. And uh, she said, hey, Mike, I was just thinking about you. I bought these brand new leather gloves for my son. And uh, they're just a little bit too small for him. And I was just wondering, do you need a pair of gloves? (laughs) Now, and I told her this story, and she was, you know, really encouraged. And And uh, I just thought, though, in the backdrop, I thought, what if I hadn't given him my gloves? (laughs) And uh, anyway, all of a sudden I thought, wow, God God is amazing. I don't know why he wanted me to say that to that student. I never saw him again. I'll never know unless I see him in heaven. But God wanted to teach me a lesson, and that is just to trust him. And when he taps you on the shoulder and asks you to do something, it's it's not, you should do it. <laughs> and you know, there's times that I've failed, and there's times that I've done it, and I don't know why, and I have not seen any results. I've just said, okay, I'm going to trust you, God, in the midst of this. And um another example of God tapping on the shoulder, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and my father um, was kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, he was... He was a nice guy, and when he drank, he would often become very violent. And, and there are lots of things that went on in our home. My mom ended up in the hospital as a result of the violence. So I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards him, and um, God mended that in quite a dramatic way. But my, and my father and I actually became friends. And we talked many times about spiritual things, but he was getting, his health was deteriorating, And I was on a mission trip with some university students, and I happened to sit next to two guys on each leg of the journey. And both of them talked about their fathers. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about my dad. And so I prayed. I said, God, because I was going to leave the airport and drive to pick up Karen and the kids, because they were with her family and my family in Michigan. And uh, I said, God, okay, I feel like you're telling me I need to talk to my dad again, but I want some help here. I want him to be sober, and I want to be alone with him. And so, you know, I had a seven-hour drive. I prayed, and, and uh, sure enough, we get home, and, and uh, the moment came where I was alone with him, and he was sober. And I just said to him, you know, Dad, your health is deteriorating, and uh, I love you, and I want to know that if anything happened to you, that you would be in heaven have you invited Christ into your heart? Because we'd talked about it, but he'd never gave me a clear answer. And he said, you know, that he had been in the hospital the week before, and a dear friend of ours had come to visit him, and he had prayed with her to ask Christ into his life. You know, that was the last conversation I had with my dad. And I feel like, what a gift God gave me And it was because I was willing to just say, okay, I'm going to talk to him one more time, Lord, because I feel like you're asking me to do that. And um, so as we're willing to be obedient, we're going to see God through new eyes and we're going to see ourselves through new eyes. And um, we're going to come to the point where we're going to believe that God can use us as we're just willing to be obedient to him. The third result. You'll have a greater revelation of God's will. When Peter confesses to Jesus, Jesus says to him, Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. He had a change of profession for him. Now, when I was a, a student, I studied biology. And I remember sitting in a third-year ecology course. Now, I had gone to university, really not walking with the Lord. And God did some great things on campus uh, and I started to walk with him. And I, as I mentioned, I saw guys in my dorm come to Christ. I was, you know, really liked leading Bible studies. And in this third-year course, I was sitting in the back. I had a flannel shirt, bib overhauls, kind of a 70s get-up, long hair. And the, the professor was talking about the problems of the world. And it was one of those aha moments. Because he said, you know, science and technology offers lots of solutions. Because I really wanted to have an impact on the world. But there was a problem. And that was the people, because of economics, would not choose to use the solutions that science and technology would offer in the area of ecology. And there was this aha moment in my heart. And I thought, wow, I wanna, I want to impact the world. And I realized... To impact the world, the hearts of people have to change. And uh, by this point, my, you know, I had come to Christ. I'd seen guys my dorm come to Christ. My mother's life um, had been miraculously transformed. She had accepted Christ. And uh, a day night kind of released from alcohol. And um, I thought, wow, if God can change our heart, my heart, and those that I've seen, the world can be a different place if I'm willing to be obedient. And I felt like God was that little tug towards full-time ministry at this point. Not that that's uh, the ultimate obedience, but in this case, it was for me. And I was feeling a little nervous about this. And so my roommate, um, I said to him, his name was Tom. I said, Tom, you know what? I'm feeling like God is, is kind of directing me to student ministry and joining staff. And, and uh, do you think I could do it? And Tom flips his Bible open the Old Testament, and he reads this story to me about Balaam. And Balaam was sent to curse the nation of Israel. And um, he was on a donkey heading to do this, and an angel appeared in the path. A donkey saw the angel. Balaam didn't. So the donkey stops, and Balaam beats the donkey to try to get him to move. And then God opens the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey speaks, and Balaam then sees the angel. And I'm thinking, what has this got to do with me? And my roommate says to me, Mike, if God can speak through a donkey, He can speak through you. <laughs> and to, to be really honest, I thought that was great encouragement. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, you're right. God can use me. And I I hope that's an encouragement to you, because no matter how inadequate you feel, you probably have a few more talents than a donkey. And if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you, if you're just willing to allow him to give you the direction and listen to his voice in the in the context of this. And then the, um, the fourth result of obedience. Um, you will see the world through new eyes. And this is in verse 11. It says, They left everything and followed him. Now, they were businessmen. They were people who had boats and a business. And all of a sudden, their view of that changed. They saw it through new eyes. In fact, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Therefore, do not lose heart. We look not at things which are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. And... Picture for me a big grid. You know, one of those grids where they cross lines? Up here is the temporal. Down here is the eternal. Over here is the the uh seen, and over here is the unseen. Now kind of think in your mind, where am I living? Am I living in the realm of what I can see and the temporal? Right? Am I living in the realm of really understanding the unseen and the eternal. As we are willing to be obedient, we start to view the world in a very different way. Obviously here, they said, you know what? We're leaving this because fisher of men speaks to the eternal and the unseen battle that exists in the kingdom of God as opposed to the fishing for fish. They made that choice. Not that you have to leave your business and but God was calling them, obviously. The deal is where are you living? You know, obviously you all have to, to put food on our table, we have to work. But are we working with our eyes on the seen and the temporal? Or are we working with our eyes on the eternal and the unseen? So my challenge to you today is to understand, first of all, what is temporal, what's eternal. And I, when I was a student, again, there were very formative years for me. I remember a speaker saying, there are only two eternal things, God and people. What are you investing in? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I, I just thought right then that I have failed at this. But right then, I said, you know what? I want to be an investor. I want to invest in my relationship with God and the souls of people. I want them to know God. And so as we think about this, uh, I think one of the profound joys of the Christian life is knowing that our temporal moment fits into the eternal plan. And uh, there's three illustrations of that that... um, I want to wrap up with. And one is a tapestry. You know, a, a beautiful tapestry will have lots of threads and lots of colors in it. And um, all together, they look beautiful. If you took them all out, they would just be a mess of string. And uh, our lives are like those different color strings, I'm convinced. God is weaving a tapestry from the beginning of time to the end of time. And as we're willing to be obedient, we are part of those threads that he weaves into his big plan to make a beautiful tapestry of what he wants to accomplish right here in Creston. And the second picture is symphony. I'm not a musician. I'm uh, I'm musically challenged. But the beauty of music does touch me. And every note in a symphony is important to make that symphony. I'm convinced our lives are like that. We're the notes where God wants to, to make a symphony. And then this last illustration, I was at, the university, at Carleton University, and we had this big debate set up between a very well-known abortionist, Henry Morgenthaler, and another guy, and the media was all over the place. And, and um, that morning I was praying, and I said, God, how do you want to use this in this crazy dynamic here? And uh, just in the moment, there was a picture that came to mind. And uh, it was a picture of an artist's studio. And in the studio, there were great masterpieces on the wall. And right in the middle of the studio, there was an easel. And uh, the easel had a canvas that was completely blank. And the artist comes into the room, and, um, you know, there's the easel and the artist. And there are paints, but the the um, artist stops. And uh because there were no brushes, and uh the answer <laughs> to my prayer, I thought was God was saying, "You know, Mike, I just want you to be the brush in my hand. I have a masterpiece that I want to create. I need brushes and i I went to a brush uh, art store i'm not an artist either, I'm not musical, I'm not artistic there's a lot of things I'm not." And I went but I went to this art store because I wanted to see the brushes. It, it is this, has anybody an artist here? It's amazing the number of brushes. There were big ones and little ones and fat ones and skinny ones and I thought, what a great illustration. You know, God wants to use us. It doesn't matter our shape. It matters that we're in his hand and we're willing to be used by him. And so as we think about you just never know how your small obedience fits into God's eternal plan. Our part is to be obedient. God's part is to weave it all together, to make the masterpiece, to create the symphony. Are you willing? And I think there's three obedience. First obedience is if you've never opened the door to your life to Christ, then do it. <laughs> just Let him in. He loves you. He wants to forgive you and he wants to weave your life into his kingdom plan for eternity. So I would encourage you, if you haven't, please do. Please open your door to Christ. The second obedience, for those of you who, who have done that, put him in the driver's seat. Some of you, it's just like you're, it's okay, Jesus. You can come into my life, but you're in the, you're in the passenger seat. I'm going to keep driving. And that's wrong. It sounds good, but it's not. Jesus wants to be in the driver's seat. And you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put you in the driver's seat. I want you to direct my life. I want you to empower. And you can be the backseat driver. You know, I've always said, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. Or, you know, wait a minute. Okay, I'm taking over. You know, and I have to give it back and say, okay, I want you in the driver's seat. Because I've learned, I just screw things up. Ultimately, I screw things up. So I just... The best plan is that he would be in the driver's seat. And then the final thing is there are moments of surrender. You know, when, when Peter is standing there and he says, you know, put your nets out for a catch. And it's that moment where Peter had to say, okay, I surrender. Whatever the pause was, whether it was inconvenience or embarrassment or lack of trust, he says, I surrender it. I'm going to do it. And those moments, I think, lead you into experiencing the supernatural. You know, that those moments, when we're willing to be obedient, we we live in the realm of the supernatural. And, and uh, that's what's exciting about being a Christ follower, is allowing your life to be in the realm of the supernatural. So, I just want to say, YJ NK, you just never know how you're small obedience will fit into God's eternal plan. Keep being obedient. Thank you.